Welcome to episode three of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Mary Haas, resident at University of Michigan, St. Joseph, and current president of RSA, speaks with American Board of Emergency Medicine leadership. Dr. Michael Carius, president of ABEM, and Dr. Earl Reisdorf, executive director of ABEM. Today, Dr. Haas, Dr. Karius, and Dr. Reisdorf will discuss tips and tricks for obtaining board certification and why certification is important. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the RSA podcast. I am extremely honored to be here today interviewing two of our ABEM leadership. Here today we have Dr. Karius and Dr. Reisdorf with us, and they are going to be talking to us about the basics of ABEM and board certification. So welcome, Dr. Karius and Dr. Reisdorf. It's great to have you here. It's wonderful to be here, Mary. Great to be here. So our first question is for you both to tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in ABEM. So I'll uh, lead off here. I'm Michael Carius. I consider myself an ER doc, community physician. I've been an oral board examiner since 1989. I've done some 48 exams, and I truly enjoy that process, and it's allowed me to network with other oral board examiners over the years. So I consider myself a born-again ER doc. I live in Connecticut. I work community hospital emergency departments. And this is one of the ways I've chosen to give back to my specialty. And uh, Earl Reisdorf here. Had a long career in academic emergency medicine, was a program director, as well as becoming a DIO for Michigan State-affiliated residency programs. Was a volunteer for ABEM for about 20 years, largely as an oral examiner, but also an item writer, which is somebody who writes questions for their written examinations. And then about seven years ago, had the opportunity to get to be a member of the ABEM staff and be the executive director. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Can you both tell us a little bit about the mission and the vision of ABEM? I'll lead off on this, and I'll let Earl follow on. So the mission for the American Board of Emergency Medicine is to ensure the highest standards in the specialty of emergency medicine. Our vision is to do everything possible to enable that mission to become a reality. We're one of 24 member boards of the American Board of Medical Specialties whose mission is to serve the public and the medical profession by improving the quality of health care. So what we see ourselves as is a certifying organization that really looks to improve the quality of care in emergency medicine, but also to ultimately serve the public by improving the care that they end up receiving. So one of the things within medicine that occurs is as a specialty evolves, it really doesn't have legitimacy in the House of Medicine until you have a certifying board. In particular, that board has to be recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties. Now, we're talking about the allopathic side. I don't want to slight our cherished colleagues in osteopathic medicine, but if we talk about just that arm of the House of Medicine, So emergency medicine was not a legitimate specialty until we were recognized by the ABMS in a very hard-fought battle in 1979. Since then, ABM, along with so many great emergency medicine organizations, really have been contributors in transforming healthcare in this country, and particularly emergency care, and we're very proud of our role in that. 
Great. Tell us about this mystical term called the EM model. Can you demystify this for us a bit? Tell us what it means, how it's updated and maintained. Well, again, I'll lead off here. The EM model of clinical practice was actually created back in 2001 as a way of documenting what the practice of emergency medicine is at the current time. It's a practical tool that looks at literally everything that emergency physicians do in that world of emergency medicine and tries to categorize it into three different categories. There's urgent, there's emergent, and there's critical. This process is updated every two years, and now it's every three years on a regular ongoing basis so that it really is a living document that not only was created you know, 16, 17 years ago, but gets revitalized every three years. It's the basis for all ABEM examinations, and ultimately it's the basis for all teaching in emergency medicine training programs. Well, it also has three dimensions to it, which really makes it unique. None of the other medical specialties have anything quite like we have. And again, I think that this has been part of the genius of the specialty and the way it's emerged. So you have um, diagnostic conditions and procedures, but then you also have physician tasks. This could be therapeutic intervention. It could be emergency stabilization how you go about making a diagnosis in addition to then the acuity levels. So you're able to map out, again, in three dimensions, specific conditions, the degree of acuity, and what the physician has to do. This also, I will tell you, had a profound effect in the development of the most valid milestones for emergency medicine training, the EM milestones, in that emergency medicine was able to take this foundational work in the EM model and translate it very effectively into many of the EM milestones. And we're finding that a lot of the other specialties and the ACGME, when they're looking at models for milestones, they see that emergency medicine has the most validated ones so far. And we're finding that other specialties want to start to learn from emergency medicine as to how to go about creating a model for their specialty. And spring, ABEM will be hosting another specialty to be a mentor and to help them kind of do things the emergency medicine way. That is very true. In emergency medicine, we do tend to lead the way and create a good example in a lot of different arenas. And we do recognize the importance that ABEM has had in helping our specialty get the recognition that it deserves and the credibility that we really fought for a long time to obtain. Tell us a bit about how ABEM advocates for residents and the specialty of emergency medicine. Well, first and foremost, ABEM believes that residency training in emergency medicine is the only valid way to become a specialist in emergency medicine. And therefore, anyone who takes the qualifying exam and then the oral exam has to have completed a residency in emergency medicine satisfactorily. And that's really up to the residency director to say that. So we put the residents at the top of the pyramid here when it comes to the training process. We also advocate for emergency medicine with other member boards of the ABMS and look at their residents in other ways as well. 
Critical care is a great example of that. So for example, for a long time, residents who did a fellowship in critical care medicine were not able to sit for subspecialty boards in critical care medicine. And ABEM over the years has worked with and lobbied three other specialty boards, internal medicine, anesthesiology, and surgery, to gain the ability of emergency physicians who have satisfactorily completed an ACGME fellowship in critical care medicine to sit for one of those three specialty boards. We did that by collaborating with these other member boards, but ultimately the benefactor for this was the residents who had done these fellowships. And we see that as continuing as a way of the residents ultimately benefiting from what ABEM is able to do as a board, but also in concert with other member boards in the ABMS. So I think that's a great thing for folks to realize that in the last seven years, we've literally doubled, we've more than doubled, the subspecialty offerings through ABEM's activities with, again, some 30-year-old battles that we finally have won. You know, we, we really do want to support the careers of emergency physicians in very diverse ways, and we're very excited about that, not just in critical care medicine, but in EMS, and there's some future opportunities that we're looking at as well. In terms of advocacy, there's also a new initiative that ABEM has been in conversation with our other colleagues, including RSA, about starting to oppose some of the CME requirements and short course requirements, ACLS, for continuing hospital physicians. Boy, if there's a specialist in resuscitation, it's (laughs) us. We shouldn't have to have some of these requirements for ongoing credentialing. And then the last thing is, and I don't know that everybody knows this, but ABEM is very active in our conversation with CMS. This is a group that runs Medicare and Medicaid services. A few years ago, when there was an opportunity under the Affordable Care Act, ABEM was able to leverage MOC activities to increase physician reimbursement by almost $4 million. We've always looked at the Federal Register. We've sent letters in opposition to some of the reporting requirements and there's been some adjustment on CMS's part. Now, that's not just because of ABEM, but because of the entire community being active in that. And one of our most recent initiatives is to try to leverage MOC, particularly Part 4, in the current macro legislation to find a way to increase the value and subsequently reimbursement to emergency physicians in a way the other organizations aren't able to do. So we really are trying to come up with career diversity, We want to support the credential of board certification and try to declutter some of these other requirements. And then finally, to the degree that we can create a better regulatory environment and enhance the reimbursement of emergency physicians, we want to do that. On behalf of all of the residents and students across the country, we thank you for your service through ABEM and through your advocacy for the specialty of emergency medicine. It's great to hear about the wonderful things that ABEM continues to do for our specialty. I think a lot of residents would like to get more involved in ABEM and learn about the opportunities for them to do so. What ways would you recommend for residents to get more involved and even beyond residency? How can they begin to take on roles such as board examiners and question writers? Well, there's really two different uh, ways for residents today to get involved. One is in the pre-certification era, that is before they become board certified. And the other is after they've become board certified. So before board certification, we've actually created a section on our website, abem.org, that is devoted exclusively to residents and students and 
has tried to answer proactively some of the questions they might have with regard to ABEM or certification or other things like that. So we would certainly encourage them to go online. We also encourage their feedback with regard to the website and ways to improve it since uh, we didn't create it with all of the knowledge that perhaps others might have had. And there are some other things that they can do on the website. They can volunteer for volunteer activities such as being parts of focus groups or task forces or other things that we have on an ongoing basis. They can suggest articles for the lifelong learning and self-assessment articles that we put out every year that they feel have particular value. And we've also tried to involve the resident organizations in the ongoing task forces and other things with ABEM. So that's sort of before graduation, before certification. After that, there are several things that become available to them. After five years of certification, if they are clinically active and if they are current in maintenance of certification, they can volunteer to become an item writer for any of the various exams that we currently administer. They can volunteer to become an oral board examiner to administer our oral board exams. I would make a particular pitch to those of the residents that go out and practice in community hospitals that we need more involvement from community emergency physicians to be part of our item writer pool as well as of our oral board examiner pool because they will become the peers of their diplomate colleagues who are out there practicing emergency medicine. And those two groups need to approximate each other with regard to percentages. So those two groups need to mirror each other and so I would really encourage the residents to begin that contribution process now, but also give some very serious thought to paying it back to emergency medicine as a specialty in the future and becoming more involved with ABEM, either as an oral board examiner or an item writer or a task force member, and ultimately to be on the board of directors and maybe become president of ABEM. Those are all great points. I know several of my faculty have served as oral board examiners and have found it to be an incredibly rewarding and fulfilling experience to be able to do that. The next question is one that you've alluded to already in several of your responses previously, but a really important question, I think, for both ABEM and for AAM and for RSA. Why are board certification and maintenance of certification so important? I'll start it and you can go on then, Earl. Um, so board certification is, in fact, the gold standard for practicing emergency medicine in the community. It is the culmination of the training process. Remember we say it's the training, not just the exam, but it's the culmination of that process, the next logical step in the training of an emergency physician. This is really there to ensure that he or she has the minimal knowledge and skills to practice emergency medicine. And our educational system in general is built on this principle that you have the training and then you take a test. And we have provided the test which psychometrically proven very valid to then practice emergency medicine. So board certification, extremely important, but also to make sure that the medicine that's being practiced in the community and in academic medical centers meets the needs of the public. That's ultimately the goal. The maintenance of certification is a little bit different. It sort of takes it a step beyond that. In a sense, ABEM, which was the 23rd medical specialty, has always had 
a recertification process. We were not born with lifelong certificates as most of the other boards were. So every 10 years, people were certified in emergency medicine. We call it our concert exam, the continuous certification examination. When MOC, Maintenance of Certification, came along as a phenomenon from the American Board of Medical Specialties, it simply incorporated our recertification process into a four-part process. Part one is simply professionalism. We use a current unrestricted valid license as a surrogate marker or a substitute for professionalism. So if you haven't lost your license, then it's assumed that you are professional. The second one, MOC Part 2, is our lifelong learning and self-assessment. You have to do four of those every five years. Great collection of articles. The response from our diplomates has been uniformly really positive about the value of those articles. And you can also get relatively inexpensive CME as a result of doing those articles and taking those tests. Part three is the concert exam that I've already alluded to. And part four simply is an improvement in medical practice in which you simply have to demonstrate that your institution or your emergency department or you yourself are doing something to improve your medical practice. We've made this as easy to do as possible, and in some respects it's a simple attestation that you have to do. But in our way of thinking, MOC is part of that lifelong commitment to learning and maintaining your skills and knowledge so that the public ultimately can have the faith and confidence that you as a practicing physician are as good as you can be. Well, I think there are, there are two things to add. One is uh, the value equation for certification, and the, the other is where are we drifting as a profession? And does certification and maintenance certification put us professionally on sound footing with the public? Board certification by ABM is the most valuable professional credential an emergency physician will ever get. When you look at the increased income, job opportunities, things as peripheral as being an expert witness, being on teaching faculty at a residency program, all of those things are tied to ABEM certification. Medicine does have a social contract with the public. And when you think about our track record, it's not that good in our recent past. I mean, we didn't do a great job with access, and now we have EMTALA. And we didn't do a great job with cost. And, you know, enter DRGs and the Affordable Care Act. We didn't do a great job with quality as the House of Medicine. And now we have PQRS and a lot of things tied with the macro bill. The last thing we have that hasn't been adulterated yet or controlled externally is our professional self-determination. And so... By having a rigorous program of MOC, we can at least hold out to the public that emergency physicians, we're doing our job to stay up to date and current and maintain our professional and social responsibilities to the acutely ill and injured, and hopefully that will ward off external intervention. Those are all excellent points. Maintenance of certification is probably even more important now than it ever has been, just with the rapidly changing landscape, new technology, the new information that's coming out in terms of best practices and new research. I mean, our our field is constantly changing, and it's critically important that we stay up to date even when we are far outside of our residency training. 
Moving on, what is required of the graduating EM resident to become board certified? How does maintenance of certification work exactly and what does it involve? I know much of this information is available on your website, but I think it's often a confusing topic for residents and one they may not start thinking about until the later years in residency, so it helps to have a brief overview from the experts. Well, there's really only four requirements for a resident to become board certified in emergency medicine. One, they have to complete satisfactorily a residency in emergency medicine. That's really up to the program director to determine that. Secondly, they have to apply for initial certification. That's a relatively simple process. There's a fee that's associated with that, and if it's not done in a timely fashion, there are late fees. So I would certainly encourage your residents to apply early and apply often. No, just apply once. The third step (coughs) is to take and pass the initial certification examination, the qualifying examination. And the fourth is to take and pass the oral certification examination. Those four parts, if done successfully, give you board certification in emergency medicine. And I'll say one thing about board eligibility. There is a board eligibility time frame of five years after which you have to do additional duties in order to remain board certified for an additional five years. But every year after that first year that a person defers taking the qualifying examination, the pass rate goes down despite the fact that the people may be just as well qualified as they were before. So we would really encourage residents to take the qualifying examination, that first opportunity after graduation. Just a footnote, a lot of people assume that um, people who delay um, sitting for the qualifying exam uh, didn't do well on their in-training exam and they need some time to to get better. When Dr. Marco, Catherine Marco, um, actually looked at this, she did control for innate ability and prior in-training exam score in your terminal year of residency And delay is an independent variable for poor performance. So, again, I think Dr. Karius's um, caution to not delay is a wise one. I think we've already covered MLC components, but here's one thing that might ease this transition a little bit. Residency programs can use the LLSA readings and even the questions within their program. ABEM allows this to be available to residencies, I would encourage, you know, programs to use it for one or a couple months journal clubs just to get familiar with the format and the nature of the questions. And I think it just provides a a more comfortable transition into MOC. It demystifies it. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't take that much work to get through it. And one of the things about that LLSA, that part two where you do the readings and a test, that's really important is ABEM puts an emphasis on high-risk diagnosis for the emergency physician. We've gotten a lot of accolades from the Society to Improve Diagnoses in Medicine based on that work. About Again, about a third of the articles are focused on those high-risk diagnoses. So we're hoping that ultimately it translates into safer patient care, improves the diagnostic accuracy of emergency physicians. That was a critical point that you made about not delaying your board certification and one that maybe a lot of residents aren't aware of. So I think if there's anything we take away, it's to get it done as soon as you can and not delay it any further. So moving on to the money question, 
Let's talk a little bit about the in-service exam. How similar is this to the official written board exam? What is the purpose of it from the ABEM perspective? Why was it developed and why is it administered? And how might one use the in-service exam experience to prepare for when they take their actual written board exam? Well, first of all, the in-service exam is not a pass-fail examination. It is meant to be there as a gauge for the individual resident to assess where he or she is with regard to their knowledge acquisition during their three or four years of training. It's meant to be a predictor of how the resident will do in the qualifying written examination. And it should be used as that gauge to say, I need to do more or I'm okay in my level of preparation. It's gauged to the level of a third year resident, what they should be expected to know. So if you're in your second year and you're performing at a higher level than the mean for a second year level, then you're doing well. And if you're doing less well than a second year resident, then you probably need to spend a little bit more time brushing up on all the areas in emergency medicine. It does have very good predictive value. If you are scoring at 99% on the in-training examination, you will stand a 90% chance of passing the qualifying examination, and the percentages go down from there. So use it as a gauge. Don't use it as an absolute. The questions are not the same, but they are of the same variety. And so the most important takeaway here is to use it as a guide for future study and for gauging where you are in your preparation but not as an absolute. Do you want to add some more to that? Well, one of the things that ABEM's doing to enhance that correlation is moving to the online format. It's anticipated that next year all of the in-training examinations will be done online. And as you know, this year, about 80% of programs did online format. That's important because the qualifying examination is a computer-based platform. One of the things about the in-training exam that's important for folks to know is that the degree of psychometric rigor and fairness is identical. Every single step is identical to the qualifying examination. And that ABEM will not score the examination until it sees all results and has a chance to review every comment on every question that every resident provides. Because there are times when questions that are being field tested don't make sense or there could be a flaw in the way people think about a particular topic. And so that's one of the reasons actually why you can't get your entry exam results overnight, even though it's going to be a computer-based test. There's a lot of human sifting that, again, is required to make judgments about is something a valid or invalid question and to review the psychometric profile of every single question on that exam. Because if something doesn't perform in a psychometrically sound way, that question has to be eliminated and you have to rescore the exam. So a lot of behind-the-scenes statistics work and a kind of physician assessment theory that's involved in there. But one of the things to emphasize is please know that if you've written a remark ranging from good question to bad question, we have a chief editor and ABEM staff who look at every single thing you say on that exam. 
so be careful what you write because yeah. somebody's going to read it. Now, that's great to know. And I think as residents, we appreciate that you are actually taking our feedback seriously and, and considering it when you review the questions. Dr. Reiser, if you had made a good point earlier along the lines of utilizing in-surface exam performance to prepare for the official written boards, you had talked about the, the common misconception that if you perform poorly in one area, that you should just focus on that area. Can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts are on that? In order to use a multiple choice exam in such a way to where you could identify content areas and use them as special emphases for studying is really difficult. And the reason is, if you look at the blueprint and you look at how vast the model is for emergency medicine, you know, trauma and cardiovascular disease is 9 to 12% ballpark. Something like administration or allergy and immunology is going to be a much smaller percentage, maybe 5%. You're going to get a handful of questions. You just don't get a big enough amount of data to be able to reliably say you're weak in any one particular area. But one of the things we do know, the best way to improve one area is to improve all areas. Now, that seems like a, a almost cliche or, or just a meaningless generalization, but it's really true. Your best preparation, both in terms of performance on the in-training exam uh, as well as the QE and oral exam, is really just focus on the breadth and totality of our specialty and the content of the EM model. And that tends to really raise one specific areas performance as much as any other strategy. Thank you so much for that helpful advice. Moving on, what tips might you have for success on the oral board exam? Well, having given some 48 exams myself, um, (laughs) I think I feel pretty comfortable with this question. The most important single thing is to relax. The oral exam is really nothing more than a virtual day in your own emergency department. If you think about how you would approach any patient and go through the mindset of how you would do that in your own emergency department. Do the same kind of history, do the same kind of physical examination as you would do otherwise, and do the same testing that you would normally do, and then come to the same diagnostic conclusions and interventions that you would normally do, you'll do very well. If you worry about trying to anticipate what the right answers are, then you will struggle. So the most important thing is relax. Do your normally good, competent job that you do every day in the emergency department. But don't worry about the outcome itself. If you follow the processes correctly as you would normally do them, you'll do fine. We look at things in there that you really can't test on the written examination. So we talk about interpersonal relations. Do you interact with the patient? Do you interact with your staff? How do you think? How do you problem solve? So we look at those processes, which is really what practicing in the emergency department is all about. So relax, enjoy it, you'll do fine. Earl? I agree entirely. You know, the people who really get themselves in trouble are people who get preoccupied with the mechanics of the artificial environment. The oral examination is not to reproduce what you do in the emergency department 100%. There really is a psychometric basis for physician assessment, and there are some very fundamental things that ABEM needs to see in terms of granting certification. Just getting your mind focused to being the doctor you already are, I think, is sage advice, and I would encourage you to do exactly what Dr. Karius has said. 
Now I'm going to put you both on the spot for a surprise question. <laughs> what piece of advice do you think would be most important to impart to our residents or our students thinking about pursuing a career in emergency medicine? What has helped give you longevity in your career and kept you passionate about what you do? What wisdom would you like to impart? Well, that's an interesting question. To me, it's keeping the passion alive. We all came into emergency medicine for a reason, and the reasons are varied. To me, we were all given a gift of a specialty in emergency medicine that never existed 40 years ago. So it's a relatively new specialty. In my nearly 40 years of practice, what I have learned is that through networking with other physicians, not only in my own state, but around the country, and in fact around the world, that I have gained a new appreciation for the expanse of emergency medicine and other people's experiences in practicing emergency medicine. And that's really what's motivated me to want to give something back. So I feel that by giving something back to the specialty, it has enriched my own practice and has allowed me to actually enjoy the interaction in caring for patients. The other thing that I would just say is don't ignore yourself as a patient. We all have needs and we all have wellness needs. And I think the increasing emphasis on wellness in physicians is extremely appropriate. You can't take care of a patient well if you're unwell yourself. So find ways that keep you feeling well, whether it's exercise or hobbies or avocations or family or travel or whatever it is. But find ways that keep you stable and on balance that don't just say you just go to work every day, you punch a clock and you come home or whatever, but rather that you do have a total life and that wellness is part of that uh, centering. So two things. One is sort of the overall networking and the overall experience in emergency medicine, and the other is more inward focused on wellness. So. One of the things that keeps me going is just an incredible excitement about our specialty, where we've been, but more importantly, where we're going. Our current residents are extraordinary. Our young attendings are brilliant. We really do attract the best, not just the academically best, but people who are egalitarian, who are other-directed, who embrace a social mission. I can't think of a finer cohort of people than emergency physicians. It's an amazing group to have the privilege to be a part of. And so one of the things that keeps me going is just this brilliant, bright future that we have uh, that's going to be driven by you, that's going to be driven by the people who are, uh, you know, at the brink of these professional careers that are going to advance us in ways we can't even foresee. And so I'll continue to be excited in my role. I'll be humbled to call myself an emergency physician as long as we continue to get to work together and be a part of this community of evolving physicians that's just truly the best and brightest. Those are really beautiful comments. Thank you for your wisdom. And thank you for all the work that you have done helping to advance our specialty through your ABEM work and through your work just being excellent emergency physicians We appreciate all the advice that you've given us here today, and we appreciate all of the clarification and information about uh, the organization of ABEM. We look forward to our members getting more involved and following your example of giving back to the specialty. Thank you so much, and we can't wait to distribute this out to our members so that they can hear what you have to say. Very good. Thank you very much, Mike. 
We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine students and residents.